0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Sounds About Right podcast. This is the fifth time I'm recording this intro because, I don't know, I could write out the intros and I did last time, but it just felt a little more stiff. Yet the um, the price that I pay for not writing it out is that sometimes I ramble and get off track and have to record my intros several times. So hopefully this one is it. If you're listening to it, then it definitely is. Anyway, welcome back. This is the second episode of the Sounds About Right podcast revival. Today I'm talking to Elise Kalish, who is the editor of Freelance Prime, of Prime Freelance. Well, you'll find out when we talk. I don't know why I just mixed it up, but she's an editor, at business insider. We are good friends, though. We met when we were working together at the Muse. We were both interns. She eventually became a full-time employee on the editorial team there, and I wrote for her for about a year and a half. And now I write for her at Business Insider. But you know, when I'm not writing for her, when I am, we keep in touch. And it's she's just a really fun person, and we have a we have a great time. Um, and I can't wait for you to hear it. And you will in a little bit, but before I dive in, I'm trying something new. I wanted to start sharing some some things I'm reading with you. I've had a really hard time reading during this quarantine, which I'm sure I'll talk about on several of the upcoming episodes, but um, I've been reading a book called I Miss You When I Blink, which is a series of essays by an author named Mary Laura Philpott. I think I just randomly saw it in in the store one day, Um, but I'm just want to read a quick paragraph, something that stuck with me. Um, I mean, one of the best things about other people writing is that I get to read it, and sometimes these little paragraphs, sentence, passages, whatever, just really strike a chord with me, and I'm sure that happens to you too, and so here we go. It's not easy to be a people pleaser who chooses to do something that doesn't please people especially if you've got that little kid inside your head wanting to be praised and told she's the best. But sometimes you have to do the thing you have to do, even if it makes people mad, even if it makes you feel like you've lost the support of people you want in your corner, even if it feels like some people are giving you a big fat F instead of an A+. As a self-proclaimed people pleaser, this is now me talking. This is not me reading Mary Laura's work, but as a self-proclaimed people pleaser, um, trying to recover from being a people pleaser, this really—it's—it struck a chord with me. As I said before, I read it. So let me know if you liked it too, and pick up Laura's book of essays, Mary Laura's book of essays, if you're looking for something to read, preferably from your indie book store. I know a lot of them are doing shipping, um, and I hope that you also enjoyed the sound of the me opening and closing my library book um, because it is a joy to my ears and it sounds even better over the mic so I don't even know if you can hear it but you can I hope you enjoyed it anyway without further ado let's jump into the conversation with my good friend Elise Hi, Elise. Welcome to Sounds About Right. Hi, happy to be here. So um, no one else will know this because it never went live, but we recorded an episode, um, gosh, I don't know, six or seven months ago, and then it never came to fruition because of just like technology issues. Um, I think that was about, it was before you had already accepted your current position as editor of Prime Freelance for Business Insider, but you hadn't like transitioned yet. So I actually think this might be, I mean, that was a really great conversation, but now you've been in it for what, five months? So it could be, I don't know, six months? Where are we? I can't tell time anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, God, I can't either. Uh, it was probably about six, seven months ago, but yeah, I remember it being a great conversation, but obviously every conversation with you, with you is lovely. So i decided to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've kind of told everybody, and by told everybody, I mean, just in like the first first podcast of The Sounds About Right, Revival, which dropped today, that this is gonna be like a different format. So it won't be as interviewee, but I do wanna ask you questions about your current job because I just, I, I think it's pretty badass. And I also, the other thing is, So um, for everybody listening, Elise and I worked at The Muse together. We actually started off as interns, um, gosh, way back in 2015, which feels like forever ago um, in so many different ways. And I knew like every way at all the ins and outs of how the Muse editorial team works. So now it's just so interesting that you're, I like, don't, I just don't really know how it works. Um, But how about like just take me through
1: what's a day in the life like (laughs) um well definitely pretty similar to the muse it's just slightly different format slightly different team slightly different company goals um I guess to start, you know, I check my email like any other person does. And um, a lot of my job is working with freelance writers. So unlike an editor for internal reporters um, who are spending a lot of time face to face with their reporters to vet out pitches and talk about the next stories that they're going to be tackling, um, I'm doing all that via email. And so my inbox is a lot more full than an average person. So I probably spend, you know, 30 percent of my time just answering emails and sending emails. So that takes up a good chunk of my morning. Um, And then I'll sort of dive into any drafts editing that I have to do. So that can be something that's in a Google Doc that I got the first round of edits and um, it still needs a lot of work. Uh, Or it could be something that's already in our company, CMS, which is a content management system that every company has to upload their articles to the internet. Um, And so usually I'll do sort of a last copy edit, picking photos, figuring out the SEO title uh, and sort of uploading it, publishing it letting our social team know it's live, stuff like that. Um, so it's sort of throughout the day, I'm, um, you know, figuring out which drafts to prioritize, what are the stories that are most relevant right now, when's the best time to publish them, um, and working with my writers via email and sometimes you know, over a video or a phone call uh, to get those stories live.
0: So what was it like to move from um, like the type of writing that The Muse does, which I feel like is a little bit more um, colloquial maybe? Um, to Business Insider, which is, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but like more journalism-based. I don't know if you can like maybe talk about the differences more there.
1: Yeah. So what's funny is that um, the Muse has always been a tech company. And when I joined, that was always the case. Um, So but because I joined this, you know, very robust editorial team, I only was really seeing the publication side of it. And so I always thought of the news as this like journalistic entity. Um, but the reality of what it was, is we were driving uh, people to the site to use our other tech products, essentially. And so um, a lot of my job wasn't really about covering anything and everything in the space, um, any sort of news that was relevant to people. It was a very specific kind of content, in this case, career advice uh, that we were trying to tackle. Um, Versus with Business Insider, you know, it's very much a news organization. So there are sort of no boundaries of where a story can go. The reality of it is, because there's so much you could cover at any given time, you have to figure out what's the best thing to prioritize. And so um, there's definitely... I'm busier every day than I ever was at the news just because, you know, the limits doesn't exist as they would say in Mean Girls. Um, So, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, I'm just, I'm always busy and I'm always trying to figure out like where my attention should be and it's exciting and motivating, but it's also, you know, it's an easy way to burn out. So I try to find that balance and uh, do the best I can.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially with the type of content that we're talking about right now um, when there's such a big international crisis going on, it's just like, um, I don't want to say the same type of content, but it's about the same topic and the amount of number just, I say this because I alone have written five um, COVID-19 related articles for you in the past.: Three weeks. I honestly feel like I, I wrote that first one like eight years ago. That's what it feels like. Um, it was literally three. it was three weeks ago. It was, it was three was- weeks ago. <laughs> it was three weeks ago, and it was like, "How to keep your office calm." And now it's like, no, no one's in the office. They're actually, actually the, the office does not exist anymore. The <laughs> office does not exist. Neither does the limit. Um, but it's like <laughs> the amount of times that I've, that I've written the, um, the, the fatalities and the number of cases and like, the symptoms and whatever. And that's only five. And you're getting this from like so many people and then having to like read that and reprocess that. And like, I mean, I'm sure you come, become numb to it in a way because it just becomes like, stats and figures that you have to get through
1: yeah i mean i definitely part of being a journalist is knowing when to separate work and life but the reality of it is like you're reading the news all day every day and it's affecting your work and your life and so figuring out that boundary is really tough um i i think numb isn't the right word but i definitely feel like because i'm reading so much content every day about covid 19 it just I feel like I I have a good understanding of the facts. And so I'm seeing it from a very like journalistic standpoint of like, what's the next point of the story? How can we move that forward? Um, both from a work perspective, but also from like a personal perspective of like, what can I learn from this and apply to my own life? So, you know, social distancing, when that was first becoming a term in our coverage, um, it was something that was applying to my own life. And so I knew sort of the steps I need to take in my personal life to protect people around me, to be a part of this cause. Um, but obviously it's scary. And, you know, every day I just hope that, you know, the news is slow, but unfortunately it just keeps picking up and working at a business publication as well. You're also covering not just the illness, but the effect of the illness. So on businesses, on entrepreneurship, on the markets, um, which is scary and, you know, it's affecting everyone's jobs, including my own. And so um, you just have to learn to have a, you know, tough skin and get through it and know that you're trying to make a difference in people's lives by delivering them, you know, accurate, fast um, reliable news every day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I think that's one of the things I've loved about writing for you is, um, for, well, I've written for you at the muse and here, and I've loved it all. Um, at the muse, I did again, much more like colloquial advice. Like this is what I think. And it was, I liked doing that writing too. And the muse put out great stuff. That's one of the reasons they became one of the top job sites is because of the editorial, um, component. Um, but with the type of writing I'm doing for Business Insider, I have to know my shit. And I mean, I'm so I have to learn. And so it's like, it's just really neat. Again, it's, it, it's hard to read some of this stuff over and over again, but it's it feels good to know what I'm talking about, not just in what I'm writing now, but outside of it too. Like I feel informed and I mean, having to write about it and then I'm so afraid of like, <laughs> Saying the wrong thing, um, or like putting the wrong facts out there—that I really dive into it. So that's I—that's a part of journalism I ne- i didn't think I would like because when I went to school, I was like, oh, I I want to do journalism. Oh, it's it's just politics, and I don't want to do politics. So then I, I like <laughs> never thought about journalism again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: well. Yeah, I mean, I think what's great is journalism has expanded so much too. Like, I mean, for example, just sort of off topic, uh, we just launched a digital culture desk, and that didn't exist 10 years ago because TikTok and Snapchat and all of these apps weren't a thing. And so, you know, these bigger beats come out, and suddenly you realize the news isn't just about, you know, the basic politics business. It's, it's about so much more than that. Right. So, yeah.
0: I want, I want to like go on that tangent for a second and ask you if you're a TikToker.
1: Oh, I do not have TikTok. Um, full disclosure, I don't love that it's a Chinese app and uh, I read too much news about how Chinese surveillance is a thing and, you know, so the ramifications of that. Um, but I love TikToks. I think they're really interesting. I see them on Twitter all the time. I see them on Instagram. Um, I think it's really cool what these kids come up with. Um, so it's uh, certainly entertaining. yeah
0: I I don't think I'll ever be a content creator on TikTok because I, I I don't know I feel like I recently learned my lesson with Instagram where it was just like such a rat race to keep up and then you're always thinking about like what should I put on it and it's just like so much time thinking about what you should put on your phone I don't like it but I have the app on my phone simply because I sometimes see the TikToks like posted on Instagram or Twitter or anywhere else online. And I'm like, I want to watch that one. And then every time I have to go download it, but I, I like have been pretty good about, I, I don't actually open the app. Um, <laughs> I feel, I feel like I've, we finally passed in that generation of being older where it's like oh, that new app. Like not, we're not going to do that, I, but it was also like kind of cool to think. I, I remember thinking what else could come out that like people like more than Instagram. I couldn't think of anything. And now TikTok's here. So
1: now I'm like, what else, what's going to come out next that people like more than TikTok? I know, it's exciting. And I I don't know, I think what's also cool is, TikTok is what the second version of basically what Vine was. And so it's cool that these apps are sort of coming back, you know, these legacy Mm -hmm. apps that people loved and had sort of a cult following. Like I loved Vines. And so it is cool that that's coming back for the younger generation. Um, It's also cool, like how creative people have gotten. uh, I'm just going to say like the Washington Post has like a fabulous TikTok and, you know, that's a prestigious news organization and they have just the most hilarious TikToks I've ever seen, so.
0: the Washington Post has a very special place in my heart, just because I lived in D.C. Um, for so long, and I rarely read it, but I, they had um, their little, like, tiny version that they would give out by the um, metros called The Express, and I got it every day from my express guy at the metro station, and I read almost all of it. It had a horoscope section. I loved it. And then they recently like shut it down this year, and I really mourned it, even though I haven't lived in D.C. for two years. But anyway, <laughs> I love the Washington Post. Um, and its I think actually TikTok was called Musical.ly before.
1: Yeah, either that or they were two separate apps. I don't...
0: And they like merged. You know,
1: yeah, I think one of them bought the other or something like that. Um, but yeah, it sort of originally started as like music videos, which is still kind of is, but I think people have gotten a lot more creative uh-huh. in what they can do with it. All right, well enough of me
0: hijacking this conversation with TikTok. I want to go back to all the pitches that you get in your inbox and I want to talk about what's a good pitch for you because I recently had to like kind of work with somebody who was pitching you and I got their original try which it was their first time ever pitching any organization, but I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is what she deals with <laughs> all the time times. 300?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. <laughs> no, I think I, I like get to work with like a lot of really fun writers and a lot of not so fun writers. It's just a balance of the working world. Um, yeah, what makes a good pitch is what you were curious about. Uh, let's see. So first off is, you know, respecting my time. So obviously, like I said, I have a very busy inbox and a lot of my job is vetting pitches, but a lot of my job is, you know, working offline and editing and collaborating with my team. So I have a lot of things to do every day. Um, So, you know, respecting my time in the sense that your email is respectful. um, It is clear, concise, uh, overall sort of delivers on what you're trying to get across to me. Um, I get a lot of writers, for example, that'll email me and say, you know, what are your rates? Or, um, you know, what can I pitch you? Or I'm good at these XYZ topics. And, you know, first of all, I think it's great to ask for rates. That's something every freelancer should be comfortable doing. Um, But also it doesn't really start the relationship off great if I've never talked to you before. I don't really know how to give you a good rate if I don't know your experience or background, your writing samples, what you're pitching me. Um, So I always ask writers, Uh, provide a solid headline. Um, We like to say at Business Insider that, you know, every pitch should start with the headline because uh, then you'll know if it's a good story to pursue. If you can't think of a good headline, then essentially, you know, why are you pursuing this to begin with? Um, So that's always the best first step. And then also sort of providing a little bit of information of what the article is going to cover. So I usually ask for a short introduction um, and then bullet points uh, of how the article is going to be divided. So, what are the things you're going to cover? In what order? Um, Any sources you're going to interview? When are you going to quote them? Um, And then also, what subheadings are you going to use? Um, At Business Insider, we use a lot of subheadings just because big blocks of text are just hard to read on the internet, especially on your phone. So, uh, you want to make sure that the article is broken up in a cohesive, uh, but also seamless way. Um, And yeah, I mean, I guess the last thing is you know asking questions, but also not being um, too forward. Again, you know, asking me like how I can help you um, as opposed to the other way around. Um, I get a lot of people, again, who have sort of ask me, like, I want to write for you. And I say, that's great, but I need you to, you know, take the first step and provide me with actual pitches, actual ideas, um, offer me things that I, that I need right now. And a lot of that just comes back to, you know, reading our site and seeing what we're looking for.
0: Yeah, I am. Um,
1: I've found that
0: just recently, I think with just like, again, the the amount of articles that I've written about COVID-19 just like how many different opportunities there are within like, not just, not just the topic of like COVID-19, but for example, I've been writing about um, people being furloughed. So within that, it's just like there, I feel like with a news organization, there's just so many more opportunities. And anyway, that was really good advice. What do you say (laughs) to somebody who you reject their pitch um, just because it's not like, needed at this time or whatever. Um should they reach out to you again. I feel like people once they get rejected once, they like, don't want to ever reach out again.
1: Yeah. I mean to that I say like, don't let rejection stop you from pitching me again. I have so many writers that have pitched me, you know, five, ten ideas before I actually said yes. Um, And those are the people I respect the most, right? Um, you know, part of being a freelancer, unfortunately, is you have to sort of put yourself out there and it's not always going to get a bite. Uh, but you have to make the effort and, you know, more often than not, I'm not rejecting you because I don't want to work with you. It's because that specific pitch is not what I need, like you said, Um, or it's something we've already covered, right? So, you know, go back to the drawing board, come up with new ideas. Um, If they're not good ideas, you know, don't be afraid to go to other publications as well. I have plenty of writers that are like, I believe in this story. If you're not going to take it, I'm going to take it somewhere else. And I think that's great. You absolutely should, Uh, but that shouldn't also stop you from reaching back out to me. So long as you have a great idea and a great outline to provide me, I'm happy to, you know, consider, consider you.
0: How do you feel about people submitting more than one pitch within a single email?
1: Um, I definitely, you know, don't mind it also because again, it sort of gives me more option to not Mm -hmm. reject you. Um, I'm maybe, I don't want to say I'm more generous than most editors, but I I think a lot of people don't check their emails or read through every pitch. Um, I actually do. i am love being in my inbox because I like interacting with people. Um, and so I read everything and I give everything a, a thorough read. And so, um, if you provide me with more options, I am more willing to accept at least one of them. Um, I would say again, you know, keep the email short, concise. Uh, I get a lot of big blocks of text, um, or like full article drafts before I've even asked for it. And, uh, I definitely don't ask for that because, um, uh, it's better if we can sort of agree on you know where the article is going to go before you take a tackle the draft just to save your time and also my own so
0: yeah um, one of the things that i started doing with you well, actually i'll get to this later because i would just want to transition to like okay so you people pitch sometimes you say yes sometimes you say no so the people you say yes to those are your writers what are your like what are you looking for in your writers like what are the top 3 to 5 things
1: yeah um I mean, number one is like take feedback and if you don't understand the feedback, ask questions because I get a lot of writers where um, they're just like okay writers or maybe they're still trying to figure out the bi style they've only written for us once, um, and I give them a lot of notes and I try to be as thorough as I can and feedback feedbacks so that people learn and you know get better and so then I'm not wasting anyone's time the next time around. Um, and I'll give a lot of feedback and then writers will come back with a second draft for another article and they'll, no- they won't apply any of the feedback I provided before, whether it's stylistic changes, just general like feedback about how to interview sources, how to quote sources, how to quote stats, whatever. Um, and so that's really frustrating because, you know, it, it's constantly delivering the same feedback to the same person. I, I wonder if this person's even like, making any effort with me and uh, is it really worth my time and it you know makes for longer editing time which just delays everything on my end. Um so that's number 1. Uh, number 2 is you know read our site, uh you know get a sense of our style. Again if you don't understand our style, ask ask questions. Um I get a lot of people who write very formally, very jargony, um very uh or maybe sometimes a little too casually. You know we are a news organization and we like to say that we're conversational like explaining something like you would to a friend. Uh, but, you know, we're still in our news organization. We care about credibility and factually accurate information. And so um, sometimes people will pitch me like personal essays where it's, um, they're trying to cover a topic, but from a perspective of first person, that's not what I'm looking for. And so um, I would say sort of taking that balance between uh, being authoritative, but also not writing in so much big words and big language that the reader doesn't actually understand what you're talking about. Right,
0: I'm just a tangent. My mom sends me um, words of the day every day, and it just like really gives me a flashback to SAT studying. Like, um, like I, I was really, I was a pretty, I was a good student. I was good at the math section. I'm a good writer, but I hated the vocab section. I was really horrible at that because I just didn't understand. Like, if there's a word that's five syllables, and one of its definitions is one or two syllables. Why are we? Why is this a word? Why are we using the five syllable word? Okay. <laughs> like I just, I just don't understand. Um, but it's a really good point, though, that good writing doesn't mean using big words. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think it's kind of sacrilege, but I love J.K. Rowling. Rowling. I, I, I've, I've listened. I've actually looked up YouTube videos on how to say her last name, but I keep forgetting. Anyway, um, and. I, I love her, but there's, I, one of her books, not a Harry Potter book, um, Casual Vacancy. Did you read it? No. It's, I don't, honestly, it just made me think of the color gray. Um, but it just, <laughs> it, it felt like she tried to go so far to the other end of, um, Harry Potter. Like she was trying to separate herself so far from Harry Potter that she was using like all these big words. And I was like, actually, I don't know what this means and I can't figure out in context. this is you're like defeated like you're such a great writer you don't need to use this word um but yeah yeah, it's
1: it's it's often like it's like kids who want to turn in an English essay but before they do they like go to a thesaurus and like look up every other word and try to replace it with like a word that they've Mm -hmm. never heard before and it just ends up being gibberish um yeah, it's so funny. I mean, I think what's great about coming from the muse, like you understand is that, you know, the muse did a great job of setting this precedent of like career advice doesn't have to be boring. And I think coming to BI, that was really good preparation for me to be like, the news doesn't have to be boring. Finance doesn't have to be boring. Business news doesn't have to be boring. Um, and there's a way we can explain it to the average reader and still make it applicable to somebody who's very invested in this space and very experienced in specific topics or niches or whatever. Yeah. How do you... Um maybe you haven't
0: had to do it, but I guess that should be my question. Have you had to part ways with a writer because they just like don't learn?
1: Yes. And I would say that it's not just, it's always multiple factors. I never like to kill a relationship with a writer. Cause again, it could just been the topic that they tackled. It could have been a miscommunication on my end. Um, it could have been, they had a bad day or they were, had a lot of other projects that they were working on. So I'm always very like forgiving and understanding. Um, but what usually happens is if I have a writer who is very bad at taking feedback as an okay writer to begin with, like I can tell that it's always going to take me a little bit more work to get their draft where it needs to be. Um, and then they're also very resistant. So somebody who So doesn't listen to me, pushes back all too often, but not in ways that matters. I think it's important for writers to push back if it doesn't feel like their own voice or their own work. Um, but you know, part of my job is knowing what's best for our readers. And I try to be upfront about what we're looking for. And if a writer's like, I only wanna do it this way and this is the way I do things, I'm not gonna change my mind. Um, I can say, you know, I'm sorry, that's just not what BI is looking for in our freelancers. Um, we're looking for people who are flexible, open to you know, learning our style, um, while also catering to their own voice and what they're passionate about. Um, so it's usually a multiple of factors that, you know, makes me part ways with somebody. I never try to end it on a bad note. Um, a lot of times it just says, you know, we're not looking for this kind of, um, content right now. Um, would love to revisit the relationship in the future. Um, but for now it's just not, doesn't make sense. So. I
0: can't imagine you ever actually ending
1: anything on a bad note. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope I don't. I'm sure I've made enemies in my life. Again, it's all via email, so this person could just be fuming over the computer and I have no idea. Um, I hope that's not the case, but you know, if that is, you know, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. So
0: Yeah, I mean it is really hard to form a connection with someone when you only email with them. And so I think that's one of the the plus sides of me writing for you is that I know you, I've met you in person. Um at one point we were Doing the exact same job, so um, yeah, it it definitely helps. As as someone who has been and still is scared of some people because I haven't met them face to face or even video chatted with them, um, and I've only emailed with them, I understand.
1: Yeah, I I love working with you and people that I've met in person because it it does just make it that much easier to email you and be like, I know exactly how you're going to react to this. I know exactly how to phrase this in a way that makes sense um I probably I mean I've always wanted to get on the phone with writers and get to know them better the problem with freelancers is they just come and go also yeah. they're just very busy and I don't want to waste their time I'm also very busy and so um it would be something I would love to do more in the past I you know if writers ever reach out to me and they say can I hop with the phone I usually say yes you know I say like oh yeah I would love to talk just to hear your voice and to tell you how things work around here so I told, um, or maybe I didn't, maybe I just thought
0: it in my head, but I think I told Allie Hoff Cossack to do that because you both live in Brooklyn.
1: Oh yeah. I definitely, I have to catch up with her. I also don't know a lot of people in Brooklyn, so would love to make a new friend.
0: I don't know if she'll be there. I think she might be moving to Philly soon, but, um, I mean, you're all quarantined, so I don't know if she's going anywhere anytime (laughs) soon. Um, you should also meet
1: her golden retriever. Oh, that sounds amazing i need that's a dog amazing. in my life so She's i might amazing. steal him though that's the problem
0: oh i mean i she i don't think she would let you um you could okay. try you could try i don't know how long no i res-
1: <laughs> i respect dog owners take territorial of their dogs it'd be the same way if, they, if i had a dog so
0: he's very cute um now i've gone off on the alley half classic tangent and lost my train of thought but. Oh, this is my last like burning question about your current job. What makes something be prime and versus not prime? <laughs> is that a that, secret? Are you allowed to tell?
1: <laughs> it is kind of a secret. Yeah. I think wow. because, because a lot of the times it's a decision that's made last minute. Mm. Um, and it, I, yeah, I think, one thing we do sort of talk about externally is it's just a different audience. I think a lot of people see paywall and they're like, it's premium content. Um, but at BI and even insider, like all of our content is supposed to be premium. You know, we take all of our editorial seriously at every part of the company. And so, um, the reporting isn't any different. The quality isn't any different. It's just serving a different audience. So our prime audience is mostly professionals, mostly uh, more senior level executives, people who are reading business news every day. And they're very much looking for investment advice, finance advice, career advice, um, advice on how to live a luxurious lifestyle. Um, And so that's what that content caters toward. Um, So that's sort of what makes a prime article. You could probably see that pattern across the site. But yeah, it's, it's a fun challenge for me. Unfortunately, I I can't really give a straight answer because it is something that sort of happens often later in the process.
0: I just, I just have to laugh because I, um, every time that I work with a source and then I tell them that the article's live, if it's Prime, I'm like, by the way, this is Prime. I unfortunately don't have a way, like I I can't like give you a login, but (laughs) there is an option to try like a $1, um, one month. Trial, like if you want to see it, and most of the time they either have an account because they're in PR, so it makes sense for them, um, or they're like, "Cool, great, this is awesome." And sometimes um, I get a little bit of pushback, but I mean, it's not not a lot. I got one time where a person asked me, like, "Can you send us a PDF copy?" And I was like, "I don't even know. I would have to like copy and paste that." put it in a Word doc, turn it into a PDF. So that takes me time. And no, <laughs> I actually think I would get in trouble for that. Um, and I'm going to tell you this story only because my dad redeemed himself by surprising me and, uh, buying himself a, a prime account for the, <laughs> for the whole year. He's very excited. But before he did that, I sent him like the first article I did on, um, COVID-19 because my dad he's in administration of the hospital so he's like just working all the time like trying to protect his people on the front line and and make sure patients are getting what they need and I mean everyone knows what's going on it's such a shit show and he's trying to like um at least help his hospital um and he was like (laughs) I don't want to sign up for this one dollar trial it it wasn't the money just like didn't want to sign up for it because he didn't want to like forget to not to like unsubscribe after a month (laughs) and I was like okay dad I'll do this for you but no one else like you can't share this so I just like put it into a word doc for him I said you can't share this I'm really not supposed to do this but like you're my dad and you want to read it and then I get an email where he's forwarded it to 20 people and I'm like great (laughs) now I'm gonna get sued (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, I mean, look, people do it all the time. I mean, I do it with like the New York Times and Washington yeah. Post and Wall Street Journal. Like everyone has a paywall. Like they're annoying for everyone. Like I totally get it. Um, I would hope that people pay for good journalism, but I also understand that not everyone needs a subscription to a business publication. I, I totally get that. None of my family has subscribed yet. Um, they keep waiting for the moment where they're like, tell us the article that you want us to subscribe to to help with your like monthly goals. And I was like, that's very kind of you um but also you should just subscribe um so I I get it I'm like definitely not offended I'm not going to hold it against you
0: (laughs) and he did sign up for a full year
1: I'm so proud please (laughs) thank him for me
0: (laughs) I will Um, yeah it's it's just I mean it's I I think obviously I'm I'm a writer so I understand the the paywalls especially with like the way that print media has gone publications need to I, I don't know I get it um, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> that was funny. Um, are you doing any writing of your own or do you plan to, do you want to, do you miss it?
1: I do miss it. I, um, I'm trying to figure out my place. Like I, I'm still getting settled in this job and I, I love being an editor and it takes up
0: mm-hmm. all of my days,
1: every day days, five days a week. Um, but I, I've done a couple writing, like a couple articles for bi and that's oh, been cool. really fun um i'm definitely like rusty i wish i did more of it um i would love to do more on the job um it's something that hopefully i'll shoot for as i get more settled um but honestly after like a long day of work i just want to do anything else but write yeah. um or read content um so try to spend my time on other hobbies i took an italian class uh starting last week so um that was fun i love so. that where are you taking it like online so well, so it was supposed to be an in- in-person class. There's this um, Italian school in the West Village in New York City where I live. Um, and uh, it's like a small course. It's taught by someone who's from Italy. Um, but, of course, with COVID-19, can't go in person. So she started doing it on Zoom, which is really fun. So I love that. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I said this in last episode, too, but I'm like such a lifelong learner and always have um... – these grand ideas of taking classes but then just get so overwhelmed by the like how many there are um that i never sign up
1: i should figure out something I that i really want to do and then do it <laughs> it's hard i mean i was i'd been telling myself i was going to take italian lessons for four years the only reason i did it this year was cuz i was planning to go to italy in june and so i was like oh i can like take it right before i go and then i'll be like refreshed from when i used to study in college um, but obviously that's not happening, but I'm glad I still went through with it. It's still worth it, I think. I love
0: it. When you go, I want to hear all about where you go.
1: I I'll love it. I love all about it. So what are you doing with your quarantine time? We're keeping we're keeping the time passing. Uh, we've been watching a lot of Netflix, um, a lot of other television, <laughs> Um uh we've been trying to get out of the house like once a day he goes on runs i we went to the grocery store today um which is always an experience during quarantine because yeah. the lines are so interesting it's just such a like weird experience um yeah and then i have my classes two days a week so that keeps me busy at least
0: i need specifics about what you're
1: watching Oh, let's see. So this weekend we finished Love is Blind and <laughs> Tiger King, which are both wild television, totally recommend both of them. Um, we, I think, binged both of them in one sitting or a couple of sittings. Um, and then I started Hunters a couple of days ago on Amazon. It's super good. Uh, very well done. It's like executive produced by uh, Jordan Peele, which, who's obviously a genius. Um, it's just, it's really interesting story. So. Is that the one about like Nazi hunters? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, like in the '70s, uh, where all these Nazis were sort of hiding out in America because the government brought them over for to help get the U.S. to the moon during the Soviet war, whatever. So, uh, yeah, it's got a great cast. It's got like Al Pacino, Carol Kane, uh, the guy from How I Met Your Mother, Ted Mosby. Big fan of his. So Ted Mosby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like so hard to imagine him in. I'm I'm guessing it's a more serious role. Super serious.
1: Well, the (laughs) funny thing is, his character is uh, he's like a B-list actor. His name's Lonnie Flash. Uh, And he is just ridiculous. He's got like these big sideburns and he tries to like overact everything Um, but he's like one of the Nazi hunters and it's awesome
0: (laughs) this is like I think the third or fourth time I've heard somebody say that they've started watching the hunters or just finished the hunters in the past couple weeks and I so I think that it's definitely something that I need to watch um Chris and I we actually finished love is blind like right before uh, everything like shit hit the fan I was already kind of social distancing I'm really early adopter (laughs) I walked into (laughs) his like work party the night before Portland, the night before Maine had their first case, I think. And um, I like, I was just such an, like, I had already canceled plans for the next day because I was nervous and nobody else was doing People were like, okay, whatever. Like, if that's how you, <laughs> if that's how you feel. Um, but I right. walked into his party and I think the first thing I said, I didn't even see him. I didn't even know these people, but I was like, you guys are standing way too close to each other. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then I made somebody, like, elbow bump me instead of shaking my hand. So, honestly, I'm, like, look at me now. Yeah,
1: you showed look them. Everyone's doing it now.
0: Yeah, you were uh, ahead of the times. I am social, a distancing. social distancing trendsetter. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so we fin- I think we finished it that weekend. Um, I, I, yeah, I, we, I don't know if I would have kept watching it if Chris hadn't been as into it, but it was really, intriguing to see him like, which characters he liked and which characters he rooted <laughs> against he was
1: really disappointed in um what the heck is her name kenny and kelly Yeah,
0: very disappointed in kelly to this day he's like um i don't know He just like, we haven't watched it for like two weeks which in 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 <laughs> COVID 19 times literally seems like three months. But he's like, Down with <laughs> down with Kelly.
1: Kelly's the worst.
0: <laughs> like out of like randomly. I'm like, what time? You know? Um What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it like takes me a second. Oh, love is fine, which we finished. When we got to the last episode, though, like we didn't really care about any of the like actual weddings or what was going on. So we fast forwarded through everything until like the yes or no.
1: Um Yeah. It was shocking. They did a good job of like not leading on what yeah. was gonna happen. Like Kenny and Kelly, I had no idea that that wasn't gonna work out but he seems he's he seems to be doing fine based on the reunion yeah. episode I <laughs> think he's
0: doing great I think she kind of regrets it um I I really didn't like Jessica I think I, that's pretty normal I did not like Jessica on yeah. the show I liked Mark and then I read some things about Mark and I was like maybe I don't love Mark maybe I think he's a, about him. I think he's a fine human like I think he would be like a good friend, but I did read and i'm this is allegedly um that he like had relationships with other people the whole time, and um i just I just think that I think that she was portrayed as the villain, like so much more when they both maybe weren't on the same page. I don't know it's
1: yeah. I'm really interested to see how season two goes. yeah in Chicago I know I have a bunch of friends there and I was like guys you gotta sign up <laughs> get on that I um, I was
0: rooting for what Cameron and Lauren yes and Lauren? I was but although I was skeptical about Cameron at first because I was like this is real soon like
1: it was what it was five days in yeah five me. days yeah. in
0: which I guess like does seem long in that environment but I just I felt the whole time like maybe he liked her a little bit more a lot more than she liked him and I was but I by the end I like did like him and I wanted her to say yes and I was nervous and
1: now they've been together for like a year and a half so yeah they're doing great they brought a dog you know they got whole family in the works yeah um the the what was it Diamond and Carlton situation made me incredibly sad yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Not so much, but like on, like in the actual, like what was happening, I was like, Me like, Carlton, you need to calm down. But then in the reunion, like what happened to him after, and just like all the, like, he's apparently been, like, had, I think I saw that he had suicidal thoughts, and it was just like, ah. I think I sent him a DM, and I was like, I'm sending love.
1: <laughs> wow. Oh my God. I love that. I've never DM'd like a celebrity before. Oh, I've done it.
0: Not a lot. Not a lot. It takes me a lot to do it, but I was just, like, I just feel like I'm so sick of people bullying each other in social media. Like, it's, it's just so, I can't imagine myself ever saying, like, I might think some things, like, oh, that's, like, you're an idiot or whatever, but I can't imagine myself saying some things that people say to people. I just, I, I, I'm so sick of it. I, I just, like, I'm over it.
1: Yeah, I just, I just, you know, do you have nothing better to do? I mean, I see this in news all the time. People are like, your headline's stupid. And I'm like, really? That's the, that's what you did today is you wrote that message to this writer that now is going to feel shitty about an article that they, you know, worked very hard on. It's just like so funny. You
0: probably didn't choose a headline for.
1: Right. <laughs> or also like the headline is accurate. So you're just, you're just right. insulting something that's nothing. I, right. I don't know.
0: <laughs> One time I, um, I I wrote an article for the muse and the headline, I don't think we ever really, I think we could put like, I, if, at least for me, um, I, I think I would say headline suggestions, but I never had the final call on that, which made sense because I like wasn't experienced enough. Um, and the headline was something about like how to not go crazy or how to not think you're crazy. Something, it had the word crazy in the, in the headline, which is a word that I had not used throughout. And like, crazy can in some, um, in some areas of the country be not areas of the country, but like in, in, with some people, it can be a really controversial word because it's like, it, de- um, stigmatizes mental health, um, and, and whatever. And then on the other hand, it's like, just such, it's like, um, what other word do you use besides like I feel crazy, you know, it's it's such a a controversial controversial word, Um, and I had a friend, like, reach out to me about it, and, like, kind of berate me for for it, and I was, like,
1: I didn't choose that headline. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, so sorry you feel that way, don't have any say in it. (laughs) I love that
0: you think that I just press publish on everything
1: that I write um but yeah. yeah so um do you think that carol killed her husband definitely her husband. <laughs> i am definitely in the camp of killed her husband i even had this conversation with a coworker today who was like sending me articles about like oh but like she's denying it and i was like but she did it like, why I'm <laughs> like, she, well, like why wouldn't she deny one? it <laughs> right also none of what she said was convincing at all
0: at all yeah I um I do agree with her she said one thing about how the the documentary did not um did not talk enough about like how badly the tigers are treated in some of these zoos and I agree with that although I would then counter with that wasn't the main point of the documentary
1: like yeah I read it I, I read an article, it was actually, like, I was trying to figure out, like, how do these filmmakers, like, find this story, and classic journalists, like, I want to know how they got to the root of it, um, and it was something I read from the director, like, an interview he did, um, the co-director, and he was, like, we, he, they were, like, so surprised by how much Joe Exotic and Carol talked about the other person they were like we wouldn't even egg them on they just loved talking about them and so i could totally see these directors being like okay we have this big cat story but there's something else here that's just so much more interesting i think that's like what ended up happening is they you know they were originally gonna focus on the treatment of big cats and they saw these wild characters and they were like oh no there's something here there's a totally different culture with it um you can also argue that Carol didn't treat her cats very well they were all in cages so well
0: exactly that's why like I she rubbed me wrong from like the moment she came well maybe not right away but as soon as I saw like oh wait you're but wait you're keeping your cats in cages too and you're letting people pay you to come through and look at them. Like, I just I understand there were some differences and that she didn't breed them and she didn't have like people couldn't pay to take pictures with cubs and then she wasn't like euthanizing them. I understand that difference, but other than that, this seemed exactly the same to me. And, and, and like if if I were Carol and I wanted to like have a place that was a sanctuary for big cats, which I think there is actually a really good one in um, one of the Carolinas, um, mm. and, and which it it blows my mind that there are 5,000 to 10,000 tigers in the United States of America or maybe on the continent. Um, but there are only 4,000 actually in the wild. Like that, that blows my mind. Um, but if I were Carol, like, I feel like that that's like, you don't, I understand she needs money, but that's where you go to like, you get, you you fundraise, and and she didn't pay, like, she just had volunteers, she didn't pay anyone, I don't know, she just, like, rubbed me the wrong way, and it looked like they never weeded, or anything, I I just, like, make nicer, (laughs) make
1: nicer properties for your tigers. I thought it was the funniest thing Sean and I keep talking about, is the one, she had, like, the color t-shirt system, where, like, you could work from an intern up to, like, a senior person or whatever, and, like, the intern was, like, Oh, I work six days a week, twelve hours a day, and I'm like not paid. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, what? This is a cult. This is like slave labor. It's horrible.
0: Yeah, it's it's just a really weird culture. And
1: it's just one
0: of those things where I, the entire like series, I just kept thinking, This can't get any weirder. And it does. And it does. I just can't count the number of times I
1: just like side eyed Chris like. Did did that just happen? Yeah, it was it was an adventure that I went on over the eight hours or so that I watched that oh <laughs> documentary. <ducking yeah>. <laughs> anyway, um,
0: thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Any last words or comments or things to share?
1: Um, read Abby's articles on <laughs> Business Insider, <laughs> and. Maybe you subscribe to This Center Pride, we'll see. We'll see how you feel.